I think often our body speaks to us in cravings. And so if you're not getting enough, maybe of those healthy starches, often when people cut out grains, they unintentionally go low carb and that works for some people. But for a lot of us, we do better with having some whole food starches in the diet. So that in symptoms that could look like sugar cravings or low energy or trouble sleeping. So sometimes then people feel better when they add in more sweet potatoes or winter squash. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like this show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. This episode is part two of the Autoimmune Paleo Diet Series. If you didn't tune in to part one, make sure you do so. We talk all about what an autoimmune paleo diet is, the science behind it, and who may benefit. When today we're diving into practical application, tools and tips and resources that you can utilize to be successful when incorporating a autoimmune paleo diet into your lifestyle. Again, we're joined by our amazing nutritionist, Lily Hamp, and she's going to give you lots of clinical nuggets and pearls on how to do this dietary approach successfully. This is an amazing episode full of information. So let's jump in and get started. Well, good morning, Lily. Thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I'm just really excited for today's talk. It's great to be here. Awesome. So so last uh, episode, for those of you who may not have tuned in, we, we talked all about the science and the, the methods behind an autoimmune paleo diet. We talked about what an autoimmune paleo diet is and uh, some of the people who may benefit so it was an excellent episode and, you know, for anybody who didn't tune in, that might be a great place to start before listening to to this, this episode. But Lily, do you mind giving us a little bit of a rundown on uh, what the autoimmune paleo diet is and who can benefit just to review some of the, the things we, we discussed last talk? Certainly. So autoimmune paleo or AIP for short is a way of eating that's designed to reduce inflammation in the body and improve gut health. And this is particularly helpful for autoimmune conditions, but really a wide range of inflammatory conditions. And we do this in the diet by reducing, initially eliminating potentially inflammatory foods while increasing beneficial nutrient-dense foods. And then this initial elimination period is followed by some gradual progressive reintroduction of some of those foods, which have some health benefits, but can also 
be problematic for some people. So that is the basic uh, outline of, of AIP. And to, to get specific with the foods that we eliminate, uh, those are the foods that are eliminated on a, a basic paleo diet, which are sugar, alcohol, caffeine, and grains, legumes, and dairy. And then on AIP, we go one step more and we also eliminate nightshades, nuts and seeds, and eggs for a period of time. Awesome. Well, that's a great recap. And, and today's talk is all about how to make this practical, right? Because for a lot of people who hear all of those foods that we're eliminating that are oftentimes staples in people's diet, you know, it can be a little overwhelming. And uh, a lot of people get into some trouble when they try to, to dive into this all on their own and they're not successful. So, you know, today's chat is all about how to make this realistic. Before we jump into to some of the, the tips on how to be successful with this, do you mind kind of giving us a rundown on what are some of the common mistakes that you see that people make when they try to dive into an AIP diet all by themselves? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's a lot of what you've mentioned earlier is just not being prepared and not planning ahead. That is definitely a really important first step before you even change the way you're eating is to stock up on pantry staples, get some recipes planned, and really have a game plan going into the diet. So that that would be one thing that I that I see. Another one would be eating the same foods over and over again. When you're cutting out a lot of foods, if you haven't discovered some of the new AIP foods yet, you can get into a rut of eating the same thing over and over again. And not only does that get really boring and makes you not want to stick with the diet, but it also limits the nutrients that you're consuming. So finding ways to diversify your diet is going to be important there. You know, another thing I see is people get really um, focused on following recipes, which is great. There are so many wonderful AIP recipes out there, but sometimes you just don't have time when you get home late from work and need to make dinner to make a fancy AIP recipe from a blog. And so that's where learning basic cooking skills and being able to throw together a nice macro balanced meal that isn't specifically a recipe comes in really handy. Absolutely. And then we see that, especially in the beginning, right? People are looking up these autoimmune paleo recipes and there's a bazillion ingredients, many of which people don't have on hand. So then they just feel stuck. Uh, and there's just so much you could do without making it complicated. And, uh, and that's where I think people really start off with being successful. And then like you said, you can get more complex as time goes on and as you get all of those ingredients, but sometimes it can be, can be overwhelming. And, and so what, if someone is doing an AIP diet inappropriately, what are some of the, the things that can go wrong? What might they see with their physical appearance or their weight that suggests that things aren't happening like they're supposed to? Yeah, well, I think it can be just as simple as getting bored with your meals and feeling like you're not getting a lot of variety. But it could also look like food cravings. You know, I think often our body speaks to us in cravings. And so if you're not getting enough maybe of those healthy starches, often when people cut out grains, they unintentionally go low carb. And that works for some people. But for a lot of us, we do better with having some whole food starches in the diet. So that in symptoms, that could look like sugar cravings or low energy or trouble sleeping. So sometimes then people feel better when they add in more sweet potatoes or winter squash. Absolutely. Well, a lot of people will lose a little bit of weight when they do this. And, uh, and a lot of times that's not 
necessarily a bad thing, but we want to make sure that we're losing weight because we're reducing inflammation and optimizing our nutrition, not becoming malnourished. So on that note, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what a balanced autoimmune paleo meal might look like? Absolutely. So I like to tell people that it has four components, a protein source, some non-starchy vegetables, a source of carbohydrate, and then healthy fats. A really simple template when you're thinking about your meals and snacks. For that protein source, that's going to be any high-quality animal protein like grass-fed beef, organic chicken, turkey, wild-caught fish like salmon. And you're aiming for about a portion that is the size of the palm of your hand, about four to five ounces. And then for non-starchy vegetables, this is going to be the majority of your plate from a volume perspective. And this is all rainbow colors and a diversity of different fibers, some cooked, some raw. This can be things like your leafy greens, lettuce, collards, kale, arugula, and then the allium family. So onions, garlic, leeks are wonderful prebiotic sources. Reds and greens and oranges can be carrots, can be turnips or radishes. I love adding fennel to salad. And then the cruciferous vegetables are fabulous. So things like cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, those are often staples on AIP. And those are all within the category of non-starchy vegetables that are mostly fiber and phytonutrients. And AIP-friendly starches are going to be things like starchier vegetables and having, you know, maybe a half a cup to a bit more depending on your body's needs, your activity level. And this can come from sweet potatoes are a wonderful starch on AIP, um, but also winter squash, butternut squash, things like parsnips and beets and other root vegetables and fruits like plantains and, and berries and other fruits will provide some natural sugars as well. And then the final component are those healthy fats. And this can be an olive oil dressing, or you can saute your veggies in some coconut oil or add some sliced avocado on top, or even the fats that are naturally occurring in those high quality meat, like your grass-fed beef will contribute some beneficial fat-soluble vitamins. Awesome. And so, you know, a lot of people, they look at the AIP and what they're eliminating, they think, oh my gosh, what am I going to eat? But obviously based on, you know, what you just told us, there are a lot of really good options and it's just, this is such a nourishing diet if it's done right, or a nourishing lifestyle, I should say, if it's done right. And it, it really, I love seeing people introduce foods they've never even had before and just falling in love with them. And so with this, when they're looking at balanced meals, how would you tell someone to eat or when would they eat? What about timing? How, what does that look like for, for people who are trying to, to start something like this? That's a great question because often we're so focused on what we're eating, but people forget about when they're eating and even how they're eating. And that is equally important. I really like to emphasize the importance of regular meals. So setting our bodies up into a cycle of expecting food at consistent times during the day. This is really helpful for digestion, letting our body have a break in between meals, and also for in training that circadian rhythm of a, a sleep and wake cycle. So this can look like eating your breakfast, maybe within an hour or so of waking up in the morning, and then three to four hours later having a lunch, maybe having a mid-afternoon snack in there, 
and then having uh, dinner several hours before you're going to be going to bed. I'm thinking about having those meals spaced out throughout the day and a nice balance of macronutrients at each meal and snack. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people are interested in intermittent fasting and the concept of fasting. And, and there has been some really good benefits with that. But, you know, what people don't really always think about is the fact that if you eat consistently, like you just described, you still have a good window of fasting in there. If you're eating dinner at 6 p.m. and then you're eating your breakfast at 8 p.m., I mean, that is a that's a good 14 hour fast, which is which is excellent and, and good to do. You don't need to, you know, just eat one meal a day to get the benefits. Again, a lot of people get into trouble by doing that or being too aggressive. And then some people just can't fast very well at all because of hypoglycemia or adrenal imbalances. So I love that thought of, you know, regular consistent meals. And, and it's amazing to see a lot of people come in with energy issues, how much their energy improves just by adopting an anti-inflammatory diet and eating consistently throughout the day. I mean, it, it's, it's just so rewarding to see the benefits there. But what, one of the problems that a lot of people face is they feel like, you know, something pops up or they're super busy throughout the day and, and then they're just stuck because they're in a rush and they don't know what to eat. What are some strategies to help people be successful who might be very busy or have a lot going on or have things pop up last minute when it comes to eating well? Yes. Well, this is where a meal prep and batch cooking is going to be your best friend. I think on any healthy eating plan, but especially on AIP where takeout options are limited, it's so wonderful to have staples in your fridge already cooked that you can pull out and combine into different meals for those days when you're busy and don't have time to cook. This doesn't have to look as complicated as preparing all of your meals for the whole week on the weekend, but it, what it can look like is spending maybe a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon or a midweek day if you have some time and cooking some basic staple components that can then, as I said, be combined throughout the week into different meals. Now, when I do this, I like to think about prepping at least one good protein source, something for breakfast, something for snacks, and then some starches and some veggies. So sort of those components that I talked about earlier in a balanced meal, prepping each of those and then using them in different meals. So to give an example of that, Maybe on your Sunday afternoon batch cooking session, you make a whole roast chicken. That's going to give you lots of different meals for the week. You can even put some leftovers in the freezer for down the road. If you want to go above and beyond, you can make bone broth with the leftover bones. Uh, but there's a great protein source. And then while you've got the oven going, why not throw in a tray of sweet potatoes? You can bake some sweet potatoes and then those can be added to soups. You can eat them cold. You can put them on top of a salad. They're even great for breakfast. But when you have that tray of sweet potatoes ready to go in your fridge, it makes adding them to meals so much quicker during the week. It's also great to spend some time washing and chopping your salad vegetables and your stir fry vegetables so that those are ready to grab easily um, in the fridge. If you have time, you could also make a snack like some smoothies or some AIP-friendly cookies or crackers. It's always nice to have those quick snacks on hand. Absolutely. And you do such a good job with helping people, you know, figure this out. And we have the privilege in the clinic of getting to experiment with some of your cooking and your recipes, and it's absolutely phenomenal. So 
Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love to cook and I love to inspire people to get into the kitchen. And Right. And we, and we work with so many patients who don't cook at all. It, it's not very difficult to pick up some really good techniques to help you be successful to start baking, whether it's, you know, in at home in your big kitchen or at college with, uh, you know, just a couple of utensils that you can be successful in many ways. And, and it's, it's just fun to, to see all of the different strategies people use to, to really clean up their diet and, and make these changes. On the note of, of strategies to cook successfully, do you mind telling us a little bit about what some of your favorite cooking tools or utensils are? that you recommend to patients to help them be successful? Certainly. You know, I think the mantra here is keep it simple. You don't need a lot of fancy equipment to cook really good, nourishing AIP meals. A great place to start is with your pots and pans. Now here, I do recommend going through, seeing what you already have, and then supplementing as needed. Ideally, you want to be moving away from any sort of Teflon pans or aluminum pans because these can leach somewhat toxic compounds into the food. So better options would be things like stainless steel, ceramic, cast iron, and of course, glass is a wonderful non-reactive material. So that's for things like your yeah pots and pans, cookie sheets, muffin tins, that sort of thing. Of course, having a really good knife is going to be super important. Doesn't need to be something fancy or expensive, but just a good, sharp chef's knife and then a cutting board to go along with that. Variety of spatulas and other utensils is going to come in handy. And then I do think having a crock pot or Instapot or slow cooker is a really great time-saving device. You could put something like a soup in in the morning before you head out to work and you come home to a a wonderful home-cooked warm meal that's all ready to go. So I do think that's a good one to have on hand. I do also recommend a food processor or a blender. If you're going to be making smoothies, a good blender is a must. And a food processor is just so um, handy for a whole diverse range of recipes, whether you're making plantain crackers or AIP cauliflower hummus or uh, just endless recipes, pate. It's so good for blending things into a nice powder or puree or making uh, mashes. So I do, I do recommend a food processor if you're going to invest in one slightly fancier piece of kitchen equipment. Above and beyond that, you know, there's some fun devices out there like air fryers or spiralizers. Those are devices that will turn vegetables like carrots and zucchini into noodles which is wonderful on AIP. So you have a pasta alternative, but those are, you know, fun, fun things, not, not necessities, but they can make AIP more, uh, more creative. Absolutely. People need to know that there's so many resources out there. I mean, it's, it's fun just to go in. If you do have an Instapod or a Crock-Pot, Google AIP Instapot recipes, and you're going to have a million ideas. I mean, people out there are getting really creative and I would encourage people when they find a good recipe to share it and, and, and let it be known because uh, it helps so many other people. And the same with the air fryer, you know, just you can get creative and it's nice to make some foods that feel normal. If you're used to French fries, you can make sweet potato fries or, uh, you know, we will make chicken wings in our air fryer as well. They're just, the, the options are endless and 
it's just, it's a lot of fun if you do have those, those tools, which a lot of people do already. So you might as well put them to good use. A lot of people have an Instabot. I can't tell you how many people have said, yeah, I got that for Christmas and it's still in the box in my basement. But use those things because they can make life so much easier. We, we raise chickens and uh, what we do is we take the whole chicken and we throw it in the Instapot and literally in 20 minutes, it's just falling off the bone. And then we utilize that throughout the week, like you mentioned, for, for a variety of meals and we get the bone broth. So there's just so many cool ways to utilize some of these things that are becoming more and more popular and trendy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And what about with meal prepping? Is there any specific recommendations around storage? I mean, how, what's the best way to do that? Cause I know there's a, there's controversy on certain types of containers. Yeah, definitely. Well, my favorite, honestly, is glass. It's just so non-reactive. It can go into the freezer, into the dishwasher, even into the oven. And of course in the fridge as a storage container. So I do recommend investing in some good Pyrex glass dishes with lids. Um, you can also use mason jars for liquids or, you know, even even other items. Uh, those those are quite affordable. You can often find them secondhand and they're just going to be the most non-toxic storage material. Now, that being said, glass is a little bit heavy if you're taking your food with you on the go. So that's where some of those nice stainless steel containers can come in and be really handy. Those come in a variety of shapes and sizes. And again, it's a nice shift away from plastic which is okay to use here and there, but do remember that plastic can leach things like BPA and other endocrine disruptors into your food, especially if you're putting hot food in the plastic. So as much as possible, it's great to shift to things like glass and stainless steel that are a little less reactive. Absolutely. That's great advice. One of the things that, again, that people struggle with is, is getting rid of some of their, their favorite foods. And some of these foods that people are consuming in the traditional you know, standard American diet actually have addictive, addictive properties to them. So it's always nice to have some good food substitutes to help you make that transition. Let's talk about some of the, the more popular things, the, the harder things to get off of. Like, let's start with grains. What are some, what are your favorite AIP substitutes for traditional grains, whether that be gluten or wheat or oats or rice? You know, what, what are some good options out there that people can implement so they're not feeling completely isolated without these food sources. <laughs> yeah, well, the exciting thing is that there are so many good replacements. When it comes to things like flour, there are a variety of flours available now that are AIP friendly. One of those is cassava flour, which is made from the root of the same plant, actually, that tapioca comes from. That's a starchy tuber that is made into flour. And that's a wonderful, nice mild flavored flour for baking with on AIP. Coconut flour is another flour that's AIP friendly. It's high in fiber and got those healthy fats from the coconut in there. And it's very absorbent, so good in, in certain baking contexts. Another more unusual flour is something called tiger nut flour. Now this sounds like it comes from a nut, but tiger nuts are actually not a true nut. They are AIP friendly and they're a wonderful source of prebiotic fiber. Plus they have a mild, almost slightly sweet flavor. So those are, those are three great uh, flour options on AIP. And then for other kind of grain-based products, a really popular replacement for rice is cauliflower rice, which is basically just cauliflower that's been blitzed up in a blender into little rice-sized pieces. 
but it, when you add seasonings and cook it, it actually becomes a really delicious replacement for, for rice and recipes. You know, other options can be plantains because they contain uh, starch. They can be used in various baking recipes. And even some recipes can use sweet potato as a replacement for grains and flour. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what about dairy? And I know that a lot of people like to have a little dairy, you know, in their hot drink or their people are addicted to having a glass of milk or utilizing dairy for smoothies or for cooking. What are some good substitutes to help people get off of dairy or that they can use in place of it? Yeah, the big one here are going to be coconut products. Things like coconut milk, coconut yogurt, coconut butter. Coconut is a great source of those medium chain triglycerides, which are a healthy form of fat. And it just has a lovely creamy consistency and a nice flavor. For the coconut milk, I generally recommend a unsweetened, uh, full-fat coconut milk. Often you can find them canned in the international food section of a health food store or even a regular grocery store. You just want to look for one that doesn't have a bunch of additives and preservatives. Sometimes the ones in the carton tend to have more additives, so just always good to read the labels there. If you do get the one in the can, it tends to be quite thick and creamy, almost more like cream, which is wonderful for curries and desserts. But if you're going to drink it as a beverage, you may want to dilute it with a bit of water to make it more like a dairy milk consistency. As far as yogurt, there are some recipes out there, but you can even find some good coconut yogurt in, in most stores now, which is really exciting. And that's going to give you those beneficial probiotics. And just a nice snack with some berries or, or some fruit. Coconut butter is another wonderful product. This is just made from the dried shredded meat of the coconut that's been ground into a butter, much like you would make uh, you know, peanut butter out of peanuts. You can make it at home with, with shredded coconut. And this is delicious on top of a baked sweet potato. You can add it into a smoothie. It just has a, a really nice texture and, and taste. So those would be my top ones for, for dairy replacements. If you're feeling a little adventurous, there are even some AIP quote unquote cheese recipes out there, which combine things like nutritional yeast, which has a bit of a cheesy flavor and sometimes steamed cauliflower, coconut milk, you blend it all together. And it actually makes a pretty tasty uh, cheese sauce. And some recipes even add gelatin to make a, a firm sliceable cheese. I remember trying some of those for the first time and I was surprised at how good they actually were, you know, so again, have an open mind when you, you try some of these different things. So all you talked about so many, you know, great options as far as nutritious foods and meals. One of the, the questions a lot of people have is where do I get this food? I mean, it, sometimes it's not as readily available in you know, your local grocery store. So what are some good resources to help people be successful with finding and purchasing, you know, nutritious food that's going to be healthy and AIP compliant? Yeah. I mean, more and more, these sorts of products are starting to show up in grocery stores. So it's definitely worth a look. I know a lot of the main grocery stores around here are now carrying cassava flour pasta, which is so exciting. You know, and other, other AIP staples. But if you are having trouble finding these products in a local store, there's some wonderful online resources where you can order coconut products, cassava products, some of these tiger nuts, some of these harder to find foods. 
One that I really like, it's called Shop AIP. This is all specifically AIP friendly products, really helpful. But other ones like Thrive Market and Vitacost tend to have a lot of these same products that you can find on there. I think Thrive Market even has an option to filter your search results by AIP. They do. Yeah. That's, it's so helpful for people to see that. And it seems like the lists are growing. They're just more and more available, you know, because this diet is growing in popularity because it's helping so many people and changing, changing how they feel. What about, what about meats? You know, I know that's a, that's a big part of the AIP diet. So what, any specific recommendations on purchasing meats? Yeah, well, my first a top choice is always to source that from a local farmer, if possible. There are a couple of websites that are really helpful in finding local farms nearby. One of them is Local Harvest and the other is Eat Wild. And both of these will allow you to put your zip code in and look for farms in your area. And then once you find farms, it's always good to talk with the farmer, make an actual human connection there and ask about their farming practices. Are they grass fed? Are they using organic feed for poultry? That sort of thing. Another great way to do it is to go to your local farmer's market and talk to the farmers there. Often there will be someone selling grass-fed beef or, or other high-quality animal products at the farmer's market, and you can connect and maybe even purchase directly from the farm. Some people will do what's called a cow share, where they actually purchase part of a, a cow or, or another animal. And then the benefit of that is it's often a very good price and you get all the different cuts. So everything from the fancy steaks to the ground beef, even to the organ meats, which as we talked about in the last podcast, are actually probably the most nutritious part of the animal. So those are, those are some good places to start. Uh, if people are really having trouble finding a good local farmer in their area, there are some websites like ButcherBox and U.S. Wellness Meats and North Star Bison, where you can order high-quality grass-fed meats and have it shipped frozen right to your door. Awesome. That's great. Now, what about vegetables? Now, I know you said it's always best to go to a farmer's market or get it from a local farmer, even with the vegetables and, and talk to them about, you know, their growing practices. But are, are there some resources out there if people can't find organic to know what they should buy organic and what they might be okay with purchasing non-organic? Yes. Yeah. Every year, the Environmental Working Group comes out with these two lists that they call the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. So basically, they test the pesticide levels on all of the conventional produce in the grocery store, and they rate them based on the levels of pesticides. So the foods on the Dirty Dozen are the ones that have the highest level of pesticides, and the Clean 15 are the foods that showed minimal levels of pesticides, even though they were non-organic. So those lists are super helpful because you know that, okay, the ones on the Dirty Dozen, you definitely want to get them organic if possible. But the ones on the Clean 15 list, no biggie. If you can't find them organic or if you're trying to save money and on a budget, those are good ones to purchase non-organic and, and not worry about it. The lists do change a little bit every year, but they tend to be things like berries, apples, leafy greens tend to be on the Dirty Dozen list. And things like avocados and onions and cabbage are often on the Clean 15 list. If you just Google Environmental Working Group, Dirty Dozen, Clean 15, you'll, you'll be able to find the lists really easily. 
Great. What are, so on that note, what are some tips that you would give someone for cleaning their vegetables? Uh, that's a common question we get. What's the best way to, to clean the vegetables to help reduce uh, the chances of getting contaminated from, from chemicals or pesticides or various things? Yeah, well, giving a, giving a good wash under the, the running water and also doing a, an apple cider vinegar soak or rinse can be helpful there. Awesome. So that's all excellent. There's some great resources. And again, we'll put some links in, uh, in the podcast feed so people can check out some of those great resources that you recommended. What about snacks? That's another thing, area where people struggle is they may get hungry in between meals or they may need something on the go. What are some of your favorite autoimmune paleo snacks that uh, people can implement to help them be successful? Well, I think that a good thing to remember is that a snack doesn't have to look like quote unquote snack food, right? It can just be leftovers from a meal, a smaller portion of a meal. So that's just good to keep in the back of your mind. But if you are wanting something a little more like snack food, there are some great options out there, both homemade and store-bought. For example, things like plantain chips or sweet potato chips. You just want to check the ingredients or the oils that they're fried in and make sure it's something like coconut oil rather than a vegetable oil like, uh, like soybean oil. But those can be great, great snacks when you want something crunchy and salty. And then also things like uh, fruit, you know, fresh fruit or berries, pairing that along with some coconut yogurt is a nice way to reduce the glycemic index and, and balance blood sugar. Other great options are veggie sticks along with a cauliflower hummus, which is basically like hummus, except you use cauliflower in place of the chickpeas. You know, some other great snacks are homemade protein bars. These can be made with the root fix paleo protein or a collagen powder and adding things like some dried fruit, some coconut butter, some carob powder, and they, they become just these really easy, easily portable little snack bars or bites. So I, I like to bring those on the go for, for healthy snacks. And on that note, just so our listeners know, go to our website, grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com and look at the recipes section. And I'm pretty sure we've got the, the, the AIP bars on there, the protein bars on there, right? Those, the ones that you make, yeah, they're absolutely they're there, phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, they definitely need to be a staple in the diet because they are just so tasty. But I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to make sure people are aware of that because they're so good. <laughs> yeah, they're a good one. A good one to make on your meal prep day as well. Make a double or triple batch and just have them on hand for those times. You need a nice balanced snack because the great thing is they have some protein, they have some healthy fat and some carbs in there. So it's a, a nice balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the, the main things other than the snack piece, which again, can easily be overcome with some of those recommendations you give is, is cravings, especially in the beginning when people are coming off a of dairy or coming off a of sugar, coming off of grains, they have, or even caffeine for, you know, for that matter, they have intense cravings. So do you mind talking about, you know, ways to get through some of those intense cravings, even if it's just with sugar and caffeine, which are probably the two biggies that people deal with? Certainly. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to remember that that is a temporary phase. So have patience. It will, it will pass. But as you're going through that initial phase of having some cravings, having consistent meals throughout the day is going to be very helpful. Balancing your blood sugar by having those regular meals of protein, fat, and fiber-rich veggies every three to four hours will help to maintain blood sugar balance. 
and that can help to reduce especially those sugar cravings. Also having some AIP-friendly carbohydrate sources like fruit and sweet potatoes can go a long way to reducing sugar cravings. And then having some healthy AIP treats can be really helpful. It makes some of those carob date bars or some, some AIP baked good. And, and when you really want a sweet treat, something like that can, can hit the spot. Hydrating really well is going to be important as well. Drinking lots of water and making that mineral rich by adding electrolytes or, or sea salt to your water can help to reduce cravings. And finally, getting enough sleep and movement helps with cravings. Lack of sleep is one of maybe one of the biggest drivers of, of food cravings and sugar cravings. And all those tips will apply to caffeine withdrawal as well. You know, getting plenty of sleep, plenty of rest. And having a nice coffee replacement can be very helpful too. There are some wonderful products out there now made with things like dandelion root and roasted carob and chicory that brew up into really delicious beverages that can hit the spot when you're, when you're craving coffee. I would just say to be mindful of the ingredients because sometimes they'll use some roasted barley in there, which is a gluten-containing grain that you'll, you'll want to avoid. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we've experimented with several different types in the office and there really are some, some good ones out there and I enjoy them myself. Even when you're drinking coffee, it's nice to throw that into the mix and there's a lot of benefits as well. So what, what about people who are just busy? They have a lot on their plate and they don't have much time to cook all week long. Are there any resources to help people like that who just want to have like meals delivered to them where they're just like, you know what, I can do this for part of the week, but it's not realistic for enough for the rest of the week. You know, I just want to have food in my hand, ready to go. Yeah. Well, there's a really wonderful company called Paleo on the go that makes all AIP friendly meals and they're high quality and they're delicious and they come frozen. So some people like to just have a few on hand in their freezer for those times when they don't have time to cook. Obviously, it's going to be more pricey than buying the ingredients and making it yourself, but sometimes it's just worth it for the convenience to have something ready-made. Absolutely. And you know, again, with one of the, the, the things that people struggle with too is they feel like they can't be social on this diet. They feel like they can't go out to eat and, and participate in a meal at a restaurant. Uh, so they'll just avoid it altogether. But can you successfully eat out at a restaurant on this diet? Yeah, you can. It depends on how many uh, food sensitivities you have. If you know that you're very, very sensitive to gluten, it's going to make it a little bit more tricky eating out. But the, absolutely, there are good options. And I think more and more wait staff and restaurants are becoming aware of food sensitivities and offering all alternatives. I think I like to keep it really simple with what you order. So, for example, having a, a simple piece of protein like a grilled fish or a burger without the bun or a steak. So keeping your protein pretty simple, staying away from more of the sauces and complex dishes, and then just getting a bunch of vegetables to go with that, whether that's a salad or steamed vegetables and putting some olive oil and some lemon dressing on there. If they have a big sweet potato, that makes a nice side. But thinking, you know, keep it simple and then do know what are your hardline foods. Like if you are very sensitive to dairy or to gluten, make sure you make that clear to the, to the person serving you so you can avoid that in your meal. And as far as sharing meals with friends or family, 
when you're maybe going over to their home or, or having a holiday get together. A wonderful option here is to actually bring uh, AIP friendly dish to share. There are so many delicious AIP recipes that everyone is going to enjoy. And that way, you know, there's something there that you'll be able to eat and you'll be able to share delicious food with, with, with other people. And you know, absolutely. And I think one of the problems or one of the things that people run into is they're, they're worried about being embarrassed or, or being um, a burden on people by telling them about their food allergies or their food sensitivities. But, you know, I think it's just important for people to recognize that you're doing this for your health and there's nothing more valuable than your health. So, you know, don't, don't be scared to speak up and let people know what you're avoiding and why you're doing it. And, and nine times out of 10, they're going to completely understand. And if they don't, oh, well, you know, that your, your health is the priority and, and that's what really matters. But make sure, you know, ask about a gluten-free menu and, and don't be scared to present the foods that you're avoiding to your, your uh, waiter or waitress so they can present that to the cook. I mean, this, it, it, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And a lot of times people are very, very accommodating. Yeah, yeah. and when you're interacting with friends or family members, I think it's so important to acknowledge the place that they're coming from when they're offering the food that they've made. And so thank them for that and say, oh, thank you for making this. And, you know, I can't eat that right now, but I really appreciate the effort and the love that went into it. And here, I'll bring an option that we can share, something like that. So you're acknowledging the generosity behind it while staying within the, the dietary needs that you have. Absolutely. And I always love to hear the stories about someone following a diet and they tell their friends or they tell their family and their family, you know, puts in extra effort to make compliant foods. It's just so cool to see that because people really do care about you and they want you to be successful. So that that's great. And well, it could like, be a lovely, lovely ripple effect where other people start choosing healthier options and, and experimenting because of the change that you're making. Absolutely. Well, well, again, you know, there is a lot to an AIP diet and it's really important that if people are going to do this, they do it right. And I think it, it is important to, to just reiterate the fact that it can be really beneficial to work with professionals like yourself who can help people through this process and make sure they're doing it successfully. So how can working with you and our team at Grassroots benefit someone who is interested in taking a holistic approach to their health? Yeah, well, we can provide obviously the resources, the recipes, but more than that, I can be there. The you know the grassroots team can be there for the support and for answering your individual specific questions and help you know guiding you if you're brand new to cooking or if you're really experienced with cooking, tailoring the the resources and the support to where you're at. Also, it's helpful to have someone to go through that reintroduction phase as you add foods back in and to have someone, you know, supporting you with that and to talk about, oh, you know, I think I reacted to this food, but I'm not really sure. What do you think? It's very helpful to go through that process with good support. Absolutely. And it's just so rewarding as you, you see in the clinic, just how, how much, how much this can benefit someone and how life-changing working on food and, and nutrition can can be it, it's just amazing to, to see the witness the stories and how people literally change their their trajectory of their disease process by simply adopting an anti-inflammatory diet so you know for those out there who are struggling with inflammatory processes or they've been given certain labels 
of diseases. Make sure you're utilizing food as medicine and the AIP diet is a, a really great place to start. But again, you want to have, you want to do it right. And you want to make sure you have help, uh, because you can get yourself in a little bit of trouble if you don't, uh, do it appropriately. But on that note, do you mind sharing, uh, a, a story of someone who, again, utilized food as medicine and saw an improvement with their health? I always like to end with a, with a real life example, if you don't mind. Certainly. Yeah. I think of a, a woman who I worked with recently who came in really struggling with a rash that was all over her face and lips and, and eyelids. And she was on the autoimmune paleo diet for just about a month and her rash cleared up completely. Uh, she said her skin looked fantastic. And for the first time in a long time, it was uh, cleared enough that she could wear makeup, which she was really excited about. And she was also no longer needing her medications for her headaches and her energy was much better. So when we heal using food, it's not just the external that changes, but of course, all the internal health improves as well. Absolutely. And you avoid all of the nasty side effects with steroids and some of the immune suppressants that are utilized for cases like that. That, that is so great to see. And again, you know, Lily, we, we appreciate you so much and have someone with your knowledge and background on our team. It's, it's just so rewarding to see the changes that people make and the influence it has on their health, not only in the short term, but in the long term as well. So thank you for sharing some of your knowledge with us in this series. And I just look forward again to having me on another episode and picking your brain on another topic. Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And I love being part of the grassroots team and getting to work with all the wonderful people who come in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and we'll talk soon. 